Welcome to Reliance's Sunday Sermon. Worship with us at 8, 9.30, or 11 o'clock a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Man, I love, I love, love, love to see all the chairs moved around and, and, and just seeing you guys get into your groups. Um, this is so much of what our heart is. We've got a lot uh, to talk about today, and then we're going to um, have a, a chance for you to get activated um, in your prayer life. And so I wanna, I wanna just jump in and, and get started real quickly um, because we've got some guests that are gonna roll something out to us in an equipping moment. Um, on this Palm Sunday, um, today I, I feel like we're supposed to revisit our vision of being a house of prayer. And we're supposed to revisit our vision of getting, getting our hearts centered back on our calling again. And, and, and not just our calling to be a house of prayer, but putting action behind our mouth. Amen? Amen? Like not being all talk, but putting action behind all talk with that. And so um, there's going to be an equipping moment here, here in just a few minutes that we're going to release on the church today. And I'm, I'm excited about that because I'm excited about what Palm Sunday really leads us into. Um, if, if you were to look at Palm Sunday, what you'll see is it's Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and in that triumphal entry, it's going to set off Holy Week, and so it's going to set off Good Friday, and it's going to set off the crucifixion, it's going to set off the resurrection, and so what an important week that we're getting ready to come into, and if we were to look at this week of Jesus' life, it would be important to go, what's the first thing that Jesus did when he rolled into Jerusalem? If this is one of the epicenter weeks of his life, looking to see the first things that he did is gonna tell you a lot about what he put value on. And so what we see as one of the first things that Jesus did that was a marker in his life, one of the first things that he does is he goes straight to the temple. He rides into Jerusalem, goes straight to the temple, and he does some cleaning of the house, right? So what Jesus puts emphasis on is that he wants to come in and reestablish his house during this epicenter week. He wants to make sure his house is in the right order. I, I was thinking about this a, a lot this week as we went out to, we had two work days. Thank you for helping with those, by the way. Yesterday, there was a group here, and then there was a group that went out to the presence house. Uh, Mike and Jacob, Stimo's house, the presence house of worship. And they had this plan for us, right? There was a wall that we were gonna build and a floor that we were gonna lay and there was a, a gazebo that was being built and they had these plans for us. And I thought a lot about why that was such an important thing for us to do given this week. Jesus is going to say his first marker, his first thing that he's gonna do when he rides into Jerusalem, he's gonna reestablish his, everybody say his. His, his house. He wants to show ownership of that house. And I started to think about when we went out to the presence house and we were doing some of the remodeling. Imagine if we would have showed up and they would have showed us all their plans. We need the wall here. We need the floor here. What if we would have said, yeah, yeah, your plans are good, but we've got better plans. Your, your, your plans are good, but we've got better. We don't like that you want to put a wall there. We want to put a wall right here. And they're like, yeah, but that's, that's not what we want. We're like, we don't, we don't really care what you want. We want to put a wall right here. Or, or imagine if you were to invite me over to your house, Aaron, when you want to come over for a visit, and I bring a sledgehammer, and I look around your house like, I just don't like what your house looks like, and I start demolishing your house because I want to see it different, right? Amen. You're not, yeah, amen. Somebody's like, bring it. Yeah. Like, you're not going to necessarily like that. You're going to go, this is my house, and I invited you into my house. I think there's an issue on Palm Sunday that we're finding that Jesus is really bringing light to. One, that we have an issue for who owns the house. 
And two, I think we have an issue for the kind of foundation that we like in his house. In other words, if, if a builder came to you and says, I wanna, I'm gonna, you went to a builder and you go, I want you to build me a house. And the builder says, okay, well, what do you want in your house? And you give him all the things you want in the house. And then he gives you the price tag. And you're like, oh, that is way too expensive. I want you to still build the same house. I just want you to eliminate. I want you to cut corners and eliminate things, all right? So from the outside, you walk up and your house is done and it's framed and it looks beautiful and he's got everything and it looks amazing, but you go inside and you see that all the walls are cracked because he did not take time to pour the foundation because you wanted to cut corners. What you'll realize is this, the whole house is built on the right foundation. So Jesus is coming in and going, you can have the most beautiful temples, you can have the most beautiful houses, but if the foundation isn't right, it may look good from the outside, but it's not good on the inside. So Jesus rides in, and it sounds crazy, right? He rides in, and the first place he visits is the temple, and what you're gonna see is he sets a tone for what his house is gonna be called. And so the first time that we see Jesus um, do this, he's gonna confront the temple twice, He's gonna confront the temple kind of in his early 30s at the beginning of ministry. You'll see it in John chapter two. He's just turned water into wine. He's, he's, he's starting his ministry. He might be 30 years old, give or take. And he comes into the temple and in John two thirteen, it's the beginning of his ministry and he says these words. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple. He found that they were selling, they found those who were selling oxen, sheep, and pigeons and some money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who were selling pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of what? Trade. Trade. The activity that you're doing in my house that's good for you is not what I asked you to do in my house. Take all of this stuff, get it out, because my house is not to be a house of trade. It's not to be a house of the activity that's just simply good for your gain. It's not to be a house where you're trying to do it through your own gain. And then he says, his disciples see this zealousness, and it says, his disciples remember that was written about him, zeal for your house will consume me. So this is the first time we see it, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. But then Matthew, Mark, and Luke are gonna record a second time that Jesus does this. Now it's at the end of his ministry. So first part of his ministry, I gotta reestablish my house. Last part, three years later, Jesus is gonna come in. It's Palm Sunday again. It's Passover week again. The second time that Jesus is gonna come in on this Passover, now he's gonna get crucified and he's gonna raise from the dead. And so what we see is in Matthew 21, 12, he goes back into the temple. He's bookending what he wants us to get here. In Matthew 21, 12, it says Jesus entered the temple area, drove out all who were buying and selling there, overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and he says these famous words, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Those words are some of the harshest indictments ever spoken of religious activity and consumerism in the church today, amen? 
Both of these, at the start of his ministry and at the tail end of his ministry, Jesus is establishing with you and I, believers, what his church is supposed to be foundational on. Now, I don't know about you, but it's hard to see Jesus enraged, right? Like, I see loving Jesus, I see peaceful Jesus, I see joyful Jesus, and and I think some of it is because the image we have. We have purple sash Jesus, white robe, feathered hair, holding a lamb on his shoulders, and you're like, this guy can't get angry, right? But there was something in this moment, this picture in this moment, he's making a whip, Like he's taking the money changers' money and he's scattering it around and he's flipping their tail. What would set the Son of Man off like that? The picture of Jesus doing this. We read this and we go, yeah, they're talking about his righteous anger, right? And then what we do is we camp out on that and we go, this is a story all about it's okay to have righteous anger. You guys know what I'm talking about? And so we make this primary about, see, there is such thing as righteous anger, so you can have righteous anger. This is not a story about righteous anger. This is a story about purity in the house of God. Amen. That caused Jesus to have righteous anger, praise the Lord, to say, my house is supposed to have purity and is supposed to be built on prayer and you've made it into something else. Why would he get so physical in the house of God? Here's why. Because the one who owns the house gets to set the vision for the house. The one who owns the house gets to set the vision for the house. Something was taking place in the temple courts that caused a righteous anger to rise up in Jesus. And he's going to say these words. My father's house. You've turned my father's house into a house of trade. First part of his ministry. Last part of his ministry, it is written, my house, my father's house, Old Testament, my house, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. What stirred the affections of anger in Jesus was that the people in there were trying to redefine the function of his father's house. When activity in the house becomes about other things that we like and it doesn't become about the vision that the Lord set forth for his house, we're wrong, not him. Amen? Amen. And prayer and intimacy and worship were to be found in his house. Just to be clear, they were selling animals. They were supposed to be there. It was Passover, right? Million people coming in, however many people making a pilgrimage to get to Jerusalem. They had to make, a good Jew had to make a sacrifice at this temple. People came from all over to get to this temple. It was important that there were animals to sacrifice, part of the law. But here was the problem. The problem is the temple had turned into a a place of self-pleasing, money-making, and exclusion, and not a place of prayer and intimacy and hearing from the Lord. It wasn't that there shouldn't have been animals there to be sold. It was that the people that were selling the things there were doing it for their own gain, not trying to help people get in and hear the presence of the Lord in their life. It's kind of indicting to the church today. How we do God's work is just as important as if we do God's work. Like how we do things for the Lord is important as if we do them, amen? 
How we do them is important to his heart. The whole purpose of the money changers and the selling of animals was to assist people to engage in worshiping God. And yet these people were making it much harder for people to worship God. I wonder how many activities we've had that have made it so much about us and so little about him. It reminds me of a sobering thing that Peter's gonna share in 1 Peter 4, 17. He says these words, for it is time for judgment to begin in the what? Isn't it interesting? Peter says it's time for judgment to begin in the house of the Lord. I find it fascinating that when Jesus rolls into Jerusalem, he doesn't go to the secular places. He doesn't go to the marketplace and flip tables and go, there's prostitution in the streets. There's people doing dishonest things. I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't find himself on Pontius Pilate's door, knocking on the door, going, I want to overthrow you. I find it interesting that the first place he goes to is his house. And in his house, he says, let's start here. Because when we start here, a watching world will see something different. Amen? When we start here and we begin to actually walk and believe and follow through with what it is we confess and believe, people will say, I want that. So judgment begins in the house of the Lord. God is setting his house in order. Over and over and over, I see this word over and over and over. Everything tries to start pure. We've shared this in here before, but very few things end pure, right? I've watched documentaries out there now all over the place. The rise and fall of churches. Have you guys seen those? I've seen these things, the rise and fall of celebrity pastors. It's like out there now. And everybody's, you know, it's the buzzword now. At the end of the day, it's just simply the Lord going, I want something pure in my house again. You did things. Great. great. You, you proclaim. Great. There's things that you're doing that were great. But is that the primary activity that I said my house was supposed to be about? Let me... So, so he's gonna say these, these words very clearly. My father's house, the atmosphere of my father's house is supposed to be an atmosphere uh, of prayer. There should be an aroma in the house of God where worship petition is all about what's happening in the household of God. That's the aroma. Um, it doesn't matter if you grew up in a tradition where you go, we just didn't, I didn't grow up in a tradition that really prayed very much. I didn't grow up in a tradition um, of church life where we prayed out loud. It doesn't matter what your tradition was or my tradition matter, what, what, what my tradition is. What matters is what is the Lord's tradition? <laughs> and the Lord's tradition says my house shall be a house of prayer. So, so if it's about his tradition, then this is what we should be so radical for in, in our hearts. Now, there's this beautiful picture in Revelation. This has really got me this week. This picture in Revelation, you have these 24 elders right, that are surrounding the throne room of God. So John the Revelator gets a vision of what the throne room of God looks like. So this is a big deal. This is where God is seated at in the throne room. It's this crazy picture. There's these 24 elders that encircle the Lord's throne, and they're constantly throwing their crowns down day and night. Holy, holy, holy. There's the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So there's this amazing thing happening. But here's what it says in Revelation. In the hands of these 24 elders are these golden bowls. This is what John sees. And he says, they're holding these bowls and it's incense. It's an aroma. What, what's filling up the throne room of God? The thing that the Lord is breathing in going, oh, this is so good. It's this aroma that's filling his throne room. And in these bowls, it says, are the prayers of God's people. Our prayers make it to the throne room. 
And in that throne room, the 24 elders, big deal. This is a big, if you're a believer, this is a big deal. God's going, I'm showing you into my inner chamber. And in that place, there's these people giving me praise day and night. And they're holding your prayers and it's filling up my throne. I love it. I love it. I get, I've been sharing it. It's like walking in on Christmas, right? And you light your favorite candle, snickerdoodle, right? And you're like, oh, somebody's baking snickerdoodle cookies. And they're like, no, it's a candle. And you're like, dang it, right? But you're like, oh, that smell, that aroma, it gets to your heart. And the Lord's going, here in Revelation 5, there's four living creatures, 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people in every nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering thousands, 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 saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We make the throne room of God with our prayers. So if we don't think this is a big deal, if we're like, I just don't know if prayer really matters, we are missing it. Amen, church? Notice that they weren't holding bowls of good preaching. Did you guys notice that? Did you notice they weren't holding bowls of really, really good worship songs, which yes and amen to good worship songs. They were holding bowls of prayer. We should always aim to go after the things that God has set foundationally in his house. The church, if you look at it from the very beginnings, the church was not born out of good preaching. Good preaching, yes, amen. Faithful to the gospel, the church was born out of a prayer meeting in Acts chapter two when the Holy Spirit fell. It was born out of prayer. And then from that prayer meeting, good preaching came. Powerful preaching, not preaching with a lot of words, but preaching Christ crucified that changed people's lives. Born out of a prayer meeting. There are more marriage books out there, how-to books out there, how-to-parent books. There are more how-to books out there than you would ever see in your life. There's not a lot of prayer books on how-to. <laughs> how to pray for your marriage, how to pray for... There's some, but prayer changes it all. Jeremiah 33, 3 says... Call to me and I will answer you. This is the Lord's promise. Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. You're gonna see this language constantly throughout scripture. Come to me, ask me, let's talk. Let's have a language of intimacy. Prayer is just simply the language of intimacy with the Lord. So fast forward to today. Well, let me say one more thing on this. I don't wanna, I don't wanna miss this, we got time. Right after Jesus clears the temple in Matthew 21, and I know we shared this in here before, but it's, it's good to share it again. Right after Jesus clears the, the, the temple in Matthew chapter 21, he, he's just finished flipping the tables. He gets every activity out of there that's not bringing purity to the house of God. And look what it says in verse 14 of Matthew 21. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. This is a natural thing that happens when you're in order with what God's house is doing. 
It's a natural progression. When we're after the things of the Lord and not our own activity, people are gonna come in and receive freedom. People are gonna come in and receive healing. People are gonna come in and receive salvation. Why? Because it's what happens in the house of God. If you go into God's house today, if you were to go up and get in God's throne room today, you would not walk in if you had an ailment and not be healed in his presence. So he says, as it is in heaven on earth, amen? And I don't understand all the things like, you know, the healing things, some people, all that kind of stuff. All I know is this, when we get the house in right order, we trust that the Lord can bring the healing that he's to bring. But when you do this, there's another promise. The lame came in, they were healed. The, lame, uh, the blind came in and they were healed. And it says in verse 15, but the religious leaders saw the wonderful things that he had did and how people were praising him and they became indignant. All of hell will rise up against you when you develop a prayer culture. All of hell will come against you when you go, man, the, the more that I pray, I just feel like I'm getting attacked. If I were to ask you today, over the last couple years, if we've, as we've really been digging into prayer as a body and, and, as, a, and as a people, I, if I said, man, have you felt like you've like waged some spiritual war, uh, there's been spiritual war waged against your life? I mean, my hand would go up. I'm sure hands around this room be like, I feel like the more I pray, I feel like the enemy really presses in. It's because he's afraid of you when you develop a prayer life. He's petrified of the body of Christ, understanding that of all the things Jesus would teach, he would say, uh, that the disciples would ask, he would say, teach us to pray. They would say, teach us to pray. He's petrified of it. The enemy hates it. So he wants to wage war against it. So fast forward today. We don't have to... We don't have to pilgrimage now to Jerusalem, amen? We don't have to go to a temple and find a holy of holies. Jesus split that curtain, praise the Lord. That temple curtain was torn. We're celebrated on Easter, Good Friday and Easter. The temple's torn. We don't have to go to a temple now in Jerusalem to find the presence of God. He's inside of us. Here's what it says in 1 Peter 2 through 4. He's gonna talk about a corporate prayer and a personal prayer. 1 Peter 2 through 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, chosen by God, and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.19, he talks about us being members of God's household, joined together to become the holy temple of the Lord, and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. What he's saying to us corporately is, we are together now the house of God. Now if we are together the house of God, what's his house built on? My house shall be a? House of prayer. I was muffled. My house shall be a? House of prayer. It didn't change. It just released to get bigger. It didn't change. He didn't change it. You know, well, you know, in those days it was good, but now let's change it up. He just goes, I want to release this thing even bigger. Jesus is going to say these words in John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. Look what he says. And we will come to him and make our, what? Home, home with him. When Jesus comes into your life, he makes his home here. We don't own it anymore. He owns it. And so we're after what he's after. And so if he makes his home here, my life now becomes a house of what? Prayer. Prayer. So, so there's a challenge in this, right? In a moment, 
You're gonna hear from two guys from Disciple Nation, Sam McVay and James, and they're gonna share with you a vision that, that, that God has put on their heart for the city, but ultimately for the nations. But I feel so much weight behind this that this cannot just be a rah, rah, rah moment and then let's do nothing with it. This is an activation. If Jesus is gonna come in at the start of his ministry, book in at the end of his ministry to set the house in order, then reliance, hear my heart, we've gotta be set in right order, amen? Which means we gotta be committed to the things of prayer. And so there's an equipping opportunity. You guys wanna come on up here, Sam and James, where I feel like God is gonna stir our hearts to get involved with something much bigger than just inside of these walls. So can you welcome Sam and James, by the way? There we go. Great. I'm 54. I don't understand. Um, so we're just glad to be here. We're going to share a, a vision with you and a strategy. But before we do it, we want to bless the house. We're so proud of uh, Reliance, uh, the, our Disciple Nations team. We're so thankful for who you guys are, who the leadership team and, the, and, your, and your congregation, because you're a harbinger really um, from the spirit of what God's doing in the city congregationally. We're in the midst of an amazing revolution in the church. It's invading the, the, the music industry. It's invading churches in various places. And what, what Aaron shared is one of my favorite passages, but it talks about Jesus uh, calling his house a house of prayer. And he's quoting Isaiah from 700 years previous, who had said, I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. And what that means is, is that the Lord is calling what's his it will be identified by a culture of prayer, and not just prayer, not ought-to prayer, boarding, boredom prayer, legalistic prayer. It's going to be joyful prayer. And so I believe the day of boring prayer meetings are coming to an end. The Lord is opening the door where people are actually fascinated with him, and they run to prayer meetings, not away from them. And so we're so thankful for what's happening here because when Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer, he didn't mean brick and mortar he meant it like Joshua. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's not his tent. It's his family. His family. My family will be identified by a culture. So they're creating a culture that could be identified as the family of the Lord and doing everything wrong for church growth. I mean, it's just crazy to watch. Aaron has no clue how to grow a church. Because he's doing all the things wrong, making you get and move your chairs and like extend and have you pray in awkward moments. It's just amazing to me. And I am watching with delight. Matthew 21, again, he'll say, my house is a house of prayer. Um, at the beginning of the week before he's crucified, saying his ownership. At the end of the week, after talking about the Pharisees and Sadducees and how wicked they're being, as they're in the house, he'll say in the last verse of Matthew 23, now your house remains to you desolate. And so there's really a choice, and Aaron referred to it, um, about whether this is going to be his house or it's going to be your house. And the only real difference is, is there going to be a culture of prayer. And so we're thankful. We're thankful that you guys are doing more than just having a prayer meeting here or there and a prayer strategy here or there. You're really leaning in this thing together. So we want to pray just a prayer, a blessing over you because we're fairly convinced that all of hell hates what you're doing. And I, and I know I have a flair for the dramatic, but that's in the Bible. 
Satan hates what's happening in this place. You've raised the stakes. You didn't just say, let's have a building with a bunch of people in here. You're leaning into the identity that the Lord proclaimed for his people. And so thank you, and God help you, and we want to pray over you. Yeah. Good. So I just want to pray that the Lord would fill his house. And so he fills us individually as living stones being built together as the walls and the roof and all that. Um, but when he builds the house and it's built, he comes and he dwells in the house and he fills the house. And so I want to pray that over the whole of you. Father, we're just asking in your name, Jesus, for the filling of the Holy Spirit in this place so that you are free to move, you're free to have your way, and that you would shift our hearts to be people uh, of prayer, people who depend and lean on you and ask of you. And, and so, Father, we're asking in the middle of that that you bring closeness to you. you we bring intimacy and sweetness with you. We ask you, uh, Father, for these young people sitting over to the left, that you fill their hearts of flame and blaze them, Lord. People of prayer, that they love you, Jesus, and they love being with you. But, Father, we're asking for the, for the whole that your dwelling would be immense when they're together and they're, and they're moving as the house of prayer that they, they can't get away from you. Their hearts are full. They're being built up. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. This invitation being given to all of you is really, I think, an invitation for you to do the most human thing there is that you can do. And the most human thing that we can do is as creation talk to our creator. Prayer is the most human thing you can do. It really is. And the enemy is trying to destroy humans and destroy our purpose. And our purpose is primarily to, in relationship with our creator, to bring his kingdom from heaven to earth. And so I'm excited about the invitation in the midst of what arguably is one of the most extraordinary times, at least in my lifetime, uh, which is happening right now on the earth. And extraordinary times call for extraordinary action. And um, you live in an amazing time with pandemics, and divided politics, and with war brewing in Europe, and other things that are happening, this is an extraordinary time. But it's not only all that funky stuff that's going on, there's some glorious things going on right now. The Holy Spirit is leading the greatest prayer movement that's ever happened in human history right now, and the greatest mission movement. You're alive during that time. Let me give you a little snapshot of that. 1985, when I graduated from high school, some missiologists did a study and found 25 24-7 prayer ministries nonstop in the earth, and they were excited. Listen, we don't just have one or 10. There's 25 24-7 prayer ministries. Most of them are in South Korea and China because the Asians have always led us in prayer. Today, do you know how many there are? 20 to 30,000. We're talking 37 years later, it's really hard to count, but twenty to 30,000. So I've been saying in the services, we're not, we're not here trying to get us to pray so we can get God to move. God's on the move, and we want Wichita to get in on it. Amen. It's a global thing as we hurl toward the end of time, and Jesus cracks the eastern sky and changes this whole deal. You live during an amazing time of a prayer revival, and also missions is happening. We're about to get the Bible translated into every language. It's never happened in church history. 17,000 people groups. And I mean, we got a ways to go, but it's happening fast. 
and could happen in your generation. And Matthew 24, 14 says that when the kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God is preached to all nations, the end will come. And so the curtain is dropping on this age that's broken and full of darkness and human trafficking and cancer and broken relationships. Jesus is coming to break the curse off the planet. Aren't you ready for that? And we can play a part in that. Wichita can play a part in that. It's not just a rah-rah. It's a biblical eschatological reality. And so we're leaning into that thing. I, um, as I confess, I'm ADD uh, officially, and I have, I have, I'm hyper. And so it's a miracle that God made me a prayer guy. And the way that it happened was he made me a Bible guy first. And I'm reading all over my Bible, and I'm going, oh, my, the greatest exploits were done in prayer. I'm like, oh my gosh, he called us a house of prayer. I'm reading that in my teens and 20s. Then I start getting really curious about revival history. I don't know if you've read, where God came in the power of the Spirit and changed whole countries and cultural areas. Every one of them were preceded by extraordinary movements of prayer before. So that got in my system in my 20s, pastoring little churches, mostly in El Dorado. And through the 90s, we were like, wow, Daniel prayed three times a day, let's do it. So we just weekly, morning, noon, and night, called people out, and we prayed the Bible, thousands of prayer meetings, just asking for God to move. Then it, we cross over into the new millennium, or what am I, century, sorry, yeah, and it is a millennium, yeah. We moved into 2000s, and we kept going, and we started gathering the city together together in El Dorado, and did a little 24-7 week thing with about 50 to 70 of us. Took a shot at that. Then it kept growing, and we in 2014, are over in Wichita, and I just want to tell you the story, and please hear it and test me on Bible, but my brother is a doctor who's had an extraordinary call to the Middle East. He spent some time in Saudi Arabia, Egypt. He helps our Disciple Nations team thrust doctors and missionaries into these least-reached places, and he's had some moments where the Lord just literally ruined his life in a good way by speaking to him clearly. He's kind of got a prophetic gift. And so October of 2014, we're meeting at Great Harvest Bread. Does everybody know where Great Harvest Bread is? Over on the east side. I led that guy to Jesus um, in, um, in, tw- in, I don't know, he was a Catholic guy. And just led him to Jesus was awesome. Baptized him. was a great deal. But um, he let us meet at his restaurant. There was about 30 of us. The, the main thing was in El Dorado. There was about 30 of us there. And we're meeting among the bread racks. My brother comes on a Sunday and says, I had a dream last night. I had a dream. I don't always have these dreams. I have a dream where the Lord spoke, and here's what he said. There was 30 of us listening to him, and he said, the Lord said, I'm numbering 10,000 people in Wichita who are all spread out at different altars. They will one day soon bow at one altar, period. And he said, I intuitively knew it meant the church is divided, but he's about to bring together the church in a united way in a house of prayer culture and that our little group was supposed to help give definition to that. Six months later, I get on a plane to go to South Korea. I hate getting on planes more than Aaron Wallace. Does anybody know Aaron hates to fly? He's just a big chicken. Double that, and that's me. Anyway, I'm not flying the plane, so I don't know how it's going to all work. Anyway, I, get on the, I go over there to South Korea, and it was weird how I got there. It's another story. And I'm, in, I'm with a bunch of missionaries that reached to North Korea and China, and these people are amazing. They've been in prison. They've been, you know, they got scars on them. And we're talking about how to reach North Korea and China further with the gospel. 
After three days, we sneak into North Korea in the DMZ. We go in, we pray, standing on North Korea's soil and the number one persecuted place on the planet. I'm like, oh, my juices are going, and I'm scared to death, and all that together. Get out of there, go up to China before I come home to meet with some house church leaders. And while I'm up there, and my heart's stirred about China and North Korea, we continue to send money and pray for that all the time. The Lord drops the phrase in my heart. There are global consequences for what you do with prayer in Kansas. I mean, I feel like this. It was just like, he shouted. I mean, it wasn't like audible. But you know how I many? It formed in my heart. I was in this funky hotel. They're tapping our phones. Prostitutes are sticking stuff under the door. I mean, it's not a conducive spiritual situation. And I'm with this guy, and we're talking about 20 years of hearing the Lord and what he wanted to do in Kansas. Our faith is fairly high, and here comes that phrase. Global consequences for what you do with prayer in Kansas. Get back on the plane. Go back. Tell the story and stir the church up to pray. I did it. I started storming to every prayer meeting I could find where pastors were. I mean, uninvited, I'd come in and just, and met some of my best friends in the city. And I said, hey, can I tell you a story? And much to my delight, there was a rising tide of grace for united prayer within the city. As they said yes, and one guy, Presbyterian, pointed at me and said, call the city together. So we had a few meetings, and 70 came, and then hundreds came. Then we're at Coke Arena with thousands. We had 25 or 30 of these things moving around in all kinds of denominational churches in the city. However, how many of you have ever gone to a citywide prayer meeting? Yeah, that's pretty decent, yeah. So we did this, then COVID hits, and it slows down, and we take a pause, and we begin to think through how could we, because we, we, we got to do more than just try to invite people to a meeting on one night. How could we unite 10,000 at least that are all praying the same word of God at the same time. The Lord told us 10,000. He's told me 100,000 for the state of Kansas. And so we're working with the Lord's Prayer, assigning it in themes during the days. We're getting banks of Bible verses so people can pray together and trying to talk to Mr. Alliance. This stuff started in Abilene. Aaron and those guys helped us get there. Salina, uh, Topeka. I can't remember all these other places. We go and meet with Mr. Alliances, and they were having the same desire, and they began to pray as cities together. But we, inspired by the Moravians, how many of you have heard of the Moravians? Really, really, big hands up. Yeah, so again, yeah, so remember I was bragging on Aaron? That really, you should know about the Moravians. And I'm fully judging Aaron that you don't know about them. The Moravians, go look at home and Google will tell you amazing stories about the Moravian prayer and missions history. This is 300 persecuted um, believers that ended up in the middle of Europe in Czechoslovakia and Germany in 1727. The church institutional is persecuting them because they want everybody to have the Bible and want the gospel and Jesus to go out. And so they're in this place and they begin to pray in 1727. 24 of them say, I'll take an hour, I'll take an hour, I'll take an hour. A prayer chain. They began a prayer meeting that went on for over 100 years. It never stopped. More and more people join this prayer. Over a hundred-year prayer meeting that never, ever said, okay, it's over. During that time, they sent hundreds of people out. Multiple of them were martyrs. They're the ones that would get on the ship, sell themselves into slavery. Their families are watching and weeping, and they'd go, may the lamb that was slain receive the rewards of his suffering. And they would go off to their death. They would plan with coffins, put all their possessions in it, and write letters to their family because they knew it was just over but they would go and sow the gospel that stirred up nations. These are the guys that led John Wesley. Did you know that? 
They stirred John Wesley up. The whole Methodist movement that swept through England and, and through America were through the Moravians. They were just insane. And they decided, we're going to go all in. We're going to go all in on prayer. We're going to go all in on mission. So we've been stirred by that. There's not a unique deal. They've inspired the 24-7 prayer movement out of uh, England, IHOP, Mike Bickle. All of them are stirred up by the Moravians, and so are we. So we've got, I got $10,000 from a guy because I needed a, a tool online to rally the churches. I'm going on a tour now around multiple churches around the city. Pastors are saying, we're in with you. Let's do this thing. We've laid down some videos real well. They're being put together. And we built this website to where you can see on a counter how many people are praying with you per hour where you can sign up. And we're so excited to be at Reliance because you're our lab rats. We need to test this thing. We're going to launch May 6th at Riverlawn Christian at National Day of Prayer. Then I'm going to start going around churches, making the announcement with the pastors. But we want to test this thing. And so let us show you a couple pictures and then, oh, yeah. Good. So I'm going to soften the lab rat thing just a little bit. It's true. We're, we're testing this out. The best way possible. It is. Really but you're also something far greater in that it. I was in the Middle East one time, and we were talking about prayer, and this guy goes, it takes a prayer movement to make a prayer movement. And so if we want to see the city, and we want to see 10,000, right, we're going to need some of you praying and asking the Lord some really big things. And so, yes, we're testing this out on you, but we're also asking you to stir prayer in the city. Will you join us in that? And so, um, yeah, thank you. (laughs) Um, So real quick, we want to put on the screen um, how you how you can join us. And so if you go to wichitaprayer.com, maybe you've been there and you've seen some of the citywide stuff. Um, but at the top, uh, you'll see a little, little link that says prayer furnace, sign up. And so um, the prayer furnace right there is, yep, they're already passed out. Um, and so anyway, if you click prayer furnace, sign up, it takes you to a page where you can, where you can go in further and you can, you can choose an hour or you can uh, learn how you can pray for an hour. And so we're kind of building this site out as we go, but this is, this is where it takes you to sign up, and so there's a grid Sunday through Saturday, and then every hour, uh, all the 24 hours, and so there's 168 little slots there, and you can choose the hour you like to pray. Just click the plus button and say, that's my hour. I want to cover that hour in prayer, uh, and then the little dot will turn red, showing that it's covered, and so uh, I think there's some dots already from the other services starting to fill in, but uh, we want to Turn the whole thing red is what we want to do. And if there's already an hour, you're like, oh, that's the only hour I have to pray. Choose it. Like, we put 50 people in that slot. We don't care. If you're leading a prayer meeting, every one of you, mark it down. Say, that's, that's my hour. And so, um, and then we want to ask some of you um, to consider the midnight hour, the 2 a.m., the 3 a.m. hour, uh, because it's a special time for you to meet with the Lord Jesus if you'll commit to do it. And so every time the Lord said, I want you to pray with me for an hour over, over, over the night, uh, and, and, I, and I get up and I do that, it's literally wonderful. I, I don't look back and say, man, sleeping, oh, it's, I wish I was sleeping. I'm like, thank you, Jesus, I met with you. And so the principle of that God is a debtor to no man is in play right there. If you give him something, he will outgive you in return. It's just the way it is. And so uh, we're asking you, some of us to join us. And, and, and so that's how you can join us. Is get in there. You'll sign up. When you click your slot, it'll ask you to sign up because we want to send you out some reminders. We want to send out some encouragement. Every about an hour before it's your prayer slot, it'll, it'll 
send you to your email and you can, it'll say, hey, your hour's coming up. And so that's kind of the benefit. You can take your hour and you can change it or you can add to it, those kind of things. So, yep. Great. So if any of you wake up, especially men over 40 or 50, to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, that could be your prayer hour. Maybe the Spirit's moving by your bladder. Should I not say that out loud? Um, we've had some people say, yeah, I'll do 2 a.m., I'll do 3 a.m., which is kind of cool. But we want you to be able to see, we want to increase agreement. So you look at 3 p.m. on Tuesday, there I am, and there's 300 people praying with me. That's awesome. You're 3 a.m., and there's two people praying with you, whatever it is. And then you'll see the total hours. You saw two. We want to see that go over 10,000. And we're ramping up prayer here for a mighty move of what the Lord is doing um, in this day. So let me, let me just do two things. Uh, let's put that last quote up there, and then I'll hand this back to Aaron. Um, we're, we're inviting you to do what's most human. I've scoured my Bible, and there's a lot of gifts of the Spirit. We love to teach on those, and you all have various ones. But there is no gift of prayer or gift of intercession. That, when everybody, anybody says, that, oh, she has a gift of prayer, that's not biblical. <laughs> he, he called, some people may pray more, have a predilection within their gifting, their call to pray more, but God calls all of us to pray. He wants to talk to his kids. When my little boy... I got nine kids. When my kids talk to me, they've done something that's most sonship-like. Does that make sense? Not when they went to the room and played with the toy that I got them. That's good. It's, I enjoy that they're doing that. But when they talk to me, they're doing a children thing. When we talk to the Lord, and listen, it's hard. You know why it's hard? Because your flesh is independent, and the devil hates your prayer life. Anybody tells me, I'm struggling with my prayer life, I go, of course you are. You're on planet Earth, and it's a war zone. The devil's been working overtime for generations to tell us prayer's boring. You're going to fail. You get distracted. It's not very useful. It's just a lie. Did we put that thing back up there? I want us to just, yeah, great. That's Samuel Chadwick. He was a Methodist. Remember when you were a Methodist? Yeah. <laughs> and so he fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil and mocks at our wisdom and carnivals and play, but trembles when we pray. That's a biblical statement. The enemy's working overtime to keep you from praying. And I'm telling you this, if you're praying from fear I need to pray, oh my gosh, I'm guilty, I don't pray enough, you're just not getting it. Prayer, you're, there is joy-filled prayer. And I quote, I'm gonna, let me do it one more time. This is like you told me we would have more time at the end of this one. So, Leonard Ravenhill, who's heard of Leonard Ravenhill? He was a crazy old man preaching, crazy old man who discipled Keith Green. Anybody heard that name? Yeah. He's the one who said, Leonard Ravenhill, you can tell how popular a church is by the Sunday morning attendance. You can tell how popular the preacher is, back when they used to have these, at the Sunday night service who came back out twice a day. That, put, that must be a popular preacher. You can tell how popular God is by the Wednesday night prayer meeting. That's a great statement. And I know it sears a little bit, but I think the Lord is making himself popular again in the body of Christ. Not just what he can do and where he can get us out of so we don't have to burn and then we get to go to the streets of gold. Him becoming the goal and him becoming the desire and we're like, hey, we're running to prayer meetings, not away from them. And so the Lord is helping us right now as we lean in. And we just want to pray over you because there's a lot of warfare. Yeah, amen. Test, test, test. Yes, yeah, sorry. Um, I'm 54. So 
please leave us feedback. We need to know if it doesn't work for you. There's a little address. Did you say it? There's a little email thing that says info something, Wichita Prayer. Please get back with us. And I I forgot to say this. I just want to say it. Um, Catholics are leaning into this. Presbyterians, Lutherans. I'm telling you, the bishop of the Catholic Church over 27 counties is born again. He told me, no one saved, because it's important to me, (laughs) no one saved except through the name of Jesus, him and him alone. And I went, then you and I can go a long way together. I got issues with you, I told him last time. We're getting real honest. Like, he's like, I don't know why all y'all aren't still Catholic. And I said, I don't know why you guys are still Catholic. <laughs> but we're kind of at that place where we're like, we agree on the supremacy of Jesus, and we agree on prayer, and he wants to see the Catholic Church move more into evangelism and discipleship. I'm like, dude, let's hang out. You got your little robe on, but let's hang out. I love him. I love him. Lutheran guy, I went to his mass. They're doing liturgy. They're not rock and rolling like you people, but they love Jesus. God's bringing his family back together. He's bringing his family, not in compromise, around the supremacy of Christ. And he is really uniting us, and this is one of those ways we can do that. Amen, amen. So we wanna pray over you guys if we can. Will you guys stand up? So, so this Palm Sunday, it's not going to be one of those like, you know, we're closing out and then, you know, you maybe you feel stirred. This is a commitment that you're making today. And so I want to say this. We're waving palm branches saying, Hosanna to God in the highest. Now do we believe what it is that we're saying on a level that we'll get involved in God's house? And so I'm going to ask you if you would, you just close your eyes, extend your hands out. I want to pray over you. Sam said these words this morning. I thought they were really good. He said, isn't it funny that we commission missionaries when they go out to the mission field? Isn't it funny that we pray over people who feel called into ministry and we commission them? Why don't we commission the church to pray? So today we're going to commission you to pray. So Father, we pray in Jesus' name that this is more than just a lot of words and a lot of things and a lot of excitement. We pray for a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts today. Not out of obligation, but out of radical obedience to believe what your word says is true, that prayer changes everything. And so we're asking God not to be a house of prayer by name, but by action. May people be able to see that this city that we call Wichita and surrounding areas, that we're a place of prayer, not because we proclaim it from the rooftops, but because everywhere around us sees those people pray hard. They go after it. And so, God, today we commission this body to say, Lord, just as you came into Jerusalem, you said, my house shall be known as the house of prayer. God, we commission this body to be after the things of Jesus, to lay the foundation that you laid in Jesus Christ. So thank you, Father, for every man, woman, child in this room. I pray that there would be a stirring in our heart to say, I have to be a part of this. It's burning in me for something more. We love you, Jesus. We praise you in your name. And all God's people said... God bless you guys. We will see you later. Thanks for tuning in today. To find out how to get more involved, go to reliancecommunity.org. Have a great week.